Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Ashton Addison from BlockWest Capital for Investment Pitch Media. And today on the Crypto Point Show, we have Lars Sayer Christensen, co-founder of Concordium. Lars, welcome to the show and thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I'm excited to dive into Concordium's Layer 1 blockchain, your insights into the crypto world, where it stands right now, what it needs to get to to get to the next bull run. Um, and I would love to start off our conversation by, first of all, hearing a little bit about you, your background in banking and blockchain and how that led to Concordium. And then we'll dive into all those details. Yeah, I spent uh, most of my life in, in TradFi uh, and founded a bank uh, back in the early 90s, uh, which... Uh, I uh, was a very early uh, adopter of the internet, so we mm-hmm. brought out one of the first internet trading platforms uh, in the world back in the day, late 90s. Uh, so uh, obviously, once you've, you've experienced some, some success with, with a transformative technology once, you can't help looking mm-hmm. for the next one. And, uh, and hence, uh, I, I have been very interested in blockchain for quite a while, you know, I was made aware of Bitcoin quite early, maybe 2011, 2012, and mm-hmm. followed the space since then, and, and become oh. increasingly convinced uh, about, uh, particularly around what blockchain can can add to many processes, and many industries in terms of, uh, of of making processes safer, more securely anchored, uh, uh, better better finality, better settlement. Uh, so for me. For me, it's really the blockchain that interests me a lot and what that can bring to the party, more so than the crypto speculation and that mm-hmm. side of it. But, uh, but uh, of course, yep. the two things are interconnected. Definitely, yeah. And seeing not just early days in crypto, but uh, starting a bank as well, like, I, I, I see where you get that feeling where you want to... It's exciting to witness this innovation, but also you see that nothing is perfect in the way that it evolves. And you know, I think that there's a lot of uh, imperfections in in the way that these some of these blockchains are run in setting them up to be poised for more mainstream adoption. And I, I'm guessing that you would have some criticisms or some constructive feedback on sort of the current heavy entities in the space and what might not be perfectly set out for the next stage of growth. Yeah, let's stay on the constructive side because, as you said, any new technology will will, uh, will take some time to find its its place and, and uh, its role and to be fully fully developed. Uh, and, and I mean, the internet in the early to mid nineties was not a particularly well developed space either, and, and there was a mm-hmm. lot of similar problems there actually in terms of 
lack of general adoption, uh, a lot of criticism, a lot of skepticism. Would this ever mm-hmm. be meaningful in, in the economy? And had many discussions back then with other TradFi people and that were heavily trying to convince me that I was wasting my time completely with mm-hmm. the internet. Uh, and uh, and I, I see a lot of parallels actually uh, today where you have the same, you know, you haven't really achieve serious critical mass. Uh, most people don't really understand the space uh, because they don't feel threatened by it or, or, mm-hmm. or, or, or mm-hmm. don't see the opportunities. They don't feel the need to really understand it. And these things change over time. But but personally, uh, I feel we're sitting here with a transformative technology with a potential not dissimilar to the internet and, and in many ways providing exactly what the internet needs uh, because the problem about the internet is that there's so much insecurity around using it, around who you're interacting with, who owns mm-hmm. the digital files, etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then actually uh, the internet needs a blockchain to, to sort of anchor it mm-hmm. more firmly and create a safer world. So, But many parallels and uh, I think uh, it, it's quite beneficial to have lived through the early days of the internet because mm-hmm. uh, I think history repeats itself and I think that's what's happening now. Mm. Yeah, no, that's... Uh Great to experience it firsthand. I, I wish I would have had the privilege to run through the dot-com boom myself. Uh, my father did, and uh, he instilled a little bit of that knowledge into me. And that's part of the reason why I've stuck around <clears throat> in blockchain since 2014 as well. Um, now, from your firsthand experience, what are you, you know, obviously you're seeing a lot of parallels. Uh, what are some of the current parts of blockchain that you think are stifling the progression to the next stage of adoption? I think uh, there's a, a number of things, right? Uh, first of all, there is this early, very heavy focus on the crypto part of it, right? Which is uh, understandable, but but we have to remember that uh, I would say the key innovation here in many ways is blockchain and, and the various tokens and mm-hmm. coins are really uh, there to facilitate use usage of the blockchain and, and would perhaps not even be needed if we had an efficient payment system in the in the traditional world, right? Mm-hmm. But because of the sort of lack of early adoption, which uh, is, was exactly the same in the internet days, there wasn't a lot of interesting stuff happening there and in, for several several years. Uh, and because there hasn't been that much of real use cases, you know, a lot of focus has gone to the crypto side of it. Uh, and, and hence, you kind of mm-hmm. put a little bit the, the cart in front of the horse, in my view, right? Uh, and uh, <laughs> while that, on the other hand, has generated a lot of interest that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been there, I also think it maybe has moved too much of the focus away from the real from the real offer that, that blockchain is to many processes, you know? So mm-hmm. it's kind of... It's kind of uh, good and bad, you know, because uh, clearly the interest that has been generated in this space has largely been because of crypto and crypto mm-hmm. speculation and people being willing to invest in the promise of future developments of the technology. And without that, probably the interest would have been less. Mm-hmm. But it has also a little bit removed the focus from what is the real deal here, which is blockchain can do an awful lot to improve existing processes and, and support entirely new business models that we haven't really thought of yet you know and, and uh, in that sense again a number of parallels to early internet where you know if you were a believer it was very evident that a lot of stuff could be done much much more efficiently via the internet uh, than, than what we were used to uh, and same thing here but but obviously it's always a progression where there's some early often very nerdy adopters that uh, 
you know, take a liking to a new technology, uh, maybe don't see the the need to, to make it more approachable for the mainstream uh, mm-hmm. because they understand it. So if other people don't understand it, it's their problem. But at the end of the day, it becomes also the industry's problem if, if it's too complicated for mainstream adoption. And if mm-hmm. you think back at the internet before we had browsers and before we had apps, that, that wasn't a fun place to be mm-hmm. for, for the average guy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fun for the nerds, but, uh, but mainstream adoption came when it became easier to interact with. And I think that's what we need to see and to some extent are beginning to see in blockchain. You know, the day that just as we're talking now over the internet, but we don't even pay a, a millisecond of attention to that fact because it's so ingrained in just the, the, the utility of what we're, what we're actually using here. The day that people use blockchain to uh, navigate safer, have, having greater confidence in, 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 in who they're talking to and then various assets that they, they, they transact in, but without having to think about the blockchain, that's when we will have arrived uh, in many ways, you know, when, when it's not front of your mind, but it's just something mm-hmm. that provides utility and, and makes makes uh, processes better. Yeah. And then, of course, there's an important point, which I'm probably more focused on than most because I spent so many years in TradFi, and that is the role of regulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at uh, the financial services industry back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, deep into the 90s, that was pretty much the Wild West. You know, there wasn't much regulation. People could do whatever they want. Uh, and, uh, and and while that creates a certain freedom, it is also a hurdle to adoption because people simply don't dare to get involved, right? And mm-hmm. uh, once we then got regulation in, in, in particularly the UK in the mid-80s and the rest of Europe in the mid-90s and the US around year 2000, you know, of course that created a more difficult environment to navigate for many people. You needed to assign resources, you needed to respect the regulation, you needed to to adopt it and integrate it, but, but you were rewarded the people that wanted to go through that with much more business because many more people were comfortable engaging and getting involved. And I think we're, mm. history repeats itself and we're going to see the same here. So it is very important to get regulation clarified as much as possible. Hopefully not too onerous, hopefully not stifling innovation, but to have a clear rule set of what you can mm-hmm. and what you cannot do is absolutely a precondition for certainly for traditional finance to get involved, but also for most other industries, I think. Yeah, no, that's a great perspective, Lars, and, and I agree. And I'm curious on your thoughts on uh, the parallel of, of the Wild West and the early days in banking and you know the Wild West of, of crypto, which was supposed to be a few years ago. Uh, but what we saw in 2022, you know, with the failure of, of FTX and uh, the, the lending companies, the earning companies, it seemed like there were some issues there on, on the compliance side that put, put a lot of people that were have all their trust in, in uh, blockchain and crypto um, in the hole. Um, do you think that the worst is over in terms of, you know, how could it get worse than, than 2022? Um, and through, through that process of, of fixing all those issues that happened last year, uh, we'll come out with a regulatory framework that will ensure that won't happen again? Um, or what do you sort of think of that situation? Well, bizarrely, uh, particularly FTX was actually an example of everything that's wrong with the existing system because that was a centralized mm-hmm. failure, right? There was mm-hmm. a bunch of people that 
either didn't know what they were doing or had bad intentions or didn't know about risk management or what do I know? We'll, we'll figure out exactly what happens. But, the, but that was exactly a centralized problem, which is what we know from the traditional sector, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then an example of, of, of uh, a failure in areas that we already know where, where actually blockchain has potential to avoid those kind of failures. And we see that in many DeFi projects that actually don't have similar problems. So I think in, in a funny way, it's also validation that this movement towards decentralization is, is in fact valid, you know. That being said, of course, uh, you know, it's very easy to get the tarred with a broad brush when, uh, when, when there was something with crypto involved and it's probably a finer point to say that what happened at FTX is exactly the same as happened with Lehman Brothers uh, back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. uh, had not a lot to do with blockchain technology, just with poor mm -hmm. risk management and poor, poor governance and, 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 and lack of regulation. But, but that's the fact that that was the problem there, right? So uh, when that happens, it, it kind of points in two directions. It points at the people that irresponsibly uh, abuse uh, perhaps a lack of regulation. Uh, but it also points to people that didn't come up with regulation in time so that uh, these things could be avoided, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Now, regulation necessarily must always be a little bit behind the curve. That's natural. You need to mm -hmm. spot that something new is going on, then you need to understand it, then you need to, to take some input on it, and then you come up with suggestions for for regulation legislation. Then you need the politicians to, to vote for it, and, and then you need to implement it. So it must always be somewhat behind the curve. It can't be any other way. Uh, so, so uh, I think, you know, now, now uh, we've seen the problems that can occur. We know some of the the, the, the dangers of this, uh, also of the ICO era, where you know a lot of people sort of got got engaged on very thin thin grounds, if you if you if you will, and got hurt by it. So, uh, so I think the time now has come for regulators to step up and and do their bit, right? And I think uh, in some jurisdictions you're seeing that you know switzerland has been mm. has been looking at it for a long time the mika legislation in, in the eu is a step in the right direction i think uh, the, the u.s situation is a little bit more confused where it seems like you're more trying to fit these new models into old regulation which uh, is understandable i mean if you're called the securities uh, exchange commission you know everything looks like a security right and, and if everything looks like a security and you already have securities laws, it's a natural thing to say, well, follow those laws, right? And, mm -hmm. and in many ways, that's one way to deal with it. But I think also there needs to be a recognition that here are some new ways of doing stuff, just mm -hmm. like the new way, uh, the internet allowed new ways of delivering financial services and ultimately you, you managed to uh, accommodate that with regulation. So. Uh, so yes, I think we're over the worst, also because people obviously will be a little bit more careful going forward. Uh, I think there are good signs that regulators are trying to do their job, and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, we need we need both the industry to become more responsible and and and, uh, and understand that it's natural that there's the world around you that will have certain views on how you should do things, particularly if you ask them for their money, uh, that that is a reasonable expectation or that that world around you will say, well, we don't want you to support criminal activity or facilitate terror financing and all this stuff. That is completely normal requirements from society around you and, and, and you should accept that and you should accept that 
anonymity is a problem. Privacy is not. That's a justified and reasonable requirement for many people. But anonymity and lack of accountability is a problem. And, and, mm -hmm. and if you blindly support that, well, you can't expect uh, you can't expect regulators to take a very kind view of you, and you can't expect uh, serious businesses to get involved. So mm -hmm. there's a little bit to be done on the industry side, and there's a bit to be done on the regulation side, and hopefully, we'll come out in a, in a place that allows for more mainstream adoption after that. Mm -hmm. Great perspective, Lars. And in terms of you know where does the onus lie for this? Uh, I'm curious on your thoughts into uh, how much should you know the layer one blockchain at the protocol level itself be involved um, as a you know decentralized uh, network that, as they say, some no one's really running. It depends on which network and you know how much you dig into it. Um, should the protocol itself have certain enforcements around uh, the privacy, anonymity, uh, KYC, or, or the application level for dApps, or just to the exchanges, or all three, or a mixture? Well, you can argue for many views around that. You know, in, in, in my view, uh, the layer one uh, sort of war or argument is by no means concluded, right? We don't have at the moment a layer one out there that takes all the boxes. And what are all the boxes? It is obviously scalability. Uh, it is uh, privacy. It is also accountability for users, i.e. that, that uh, I think that the ID uh, obligation uh, is, is logical to include in a layer one so that you can you can spread that across the entire network instead of people having to build more silos. Uh, it's around finality that things actually can't be rolled back. I think uh, we, we're living a little bit in a, in, in, a, in a fantasy world that blockchains are very secure. They're not. They can be rolled back if you get control of them. And therefore, finality that we don't discuss as much as we should is very important. But, you know, scalability, privacy, finality, uh, uh, accountability, I think, is, is things that uh, naturally lies within a well-designed layer one, because these are complex things to build. They are, they are tech-heavy, they're cryptography-heavy, if you want to get them right. And you can't expect the average uh, sort of adapt to, uh, to have to build this. Uh, so I think, uh, like we did with our own layer one concordium, where we're trying to cover this sort of base foundation, uh, in order to allow people to then add their bells and whistles and things that are more obvious for the layer two, you know, your special use case, your special business model, your special offer. But I think uh, you 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 uh, have uh, have an advantage if you can anchor in a blockchain that does most of the heavy lifting on the sort of the core things that go across all blockchains. And, and that to me is a problem that uh, is not solved by the bigger networks out there uh, at this point we're trying to uh, we're trying to come up with a solution for it one more thing is that fees cannot be as unpredictable as they are on many of these uh, blockchains today because you can't have a situation where you build a brilliant use case that was based on ethereum fees three years ago and now fees are a completely different place and your bit and your your business case is out the window right so uh, also finding ways to deal with with uh, the predictability of fees and preferably very stable fees, I mm -hmm. think, are sort of key components with the other ones that I mentioned. And I think if you can build that into a layer one, and in my view you can, why not? I mean, you're doing your mm -hmm. layer two mm -hmm. and your use cases a big favor by 
then not having to uh, to build it, and secondly, you're doing the whole space a favor by not creating the dependency on a whole bunch of layer twos that mm. actually just takes us back to where we came from. You know, more things that could go wrong, more things mm -hmm. that you have to check, more things that uh, create points of failure. So uh, as much as you can build sort of the the basic solidity into the foundation, I think you should do it, and that's what we're trying to do at Concordia. Mm -hmm. hmm. I'd love to hear a little bit more on, uh, I know that your team is focused on the compliance and on, on the identity side, how exactly you've implemented that uh, with Concordium and what you think the optimal path is for other layer ones to take in terms of identity. I think ID is a, is, is a core responsibility also to avoid that everybody has to build it in siloed ways so you have to repeat and repeat and repeat just as it is in, for example, the financial sector today. If, if my bank does an ID on you and you then say, well, now I'd like to trade with another bank, that bank has to go through exactly the same process, which means mm -hmm. enormous duplication of, uh, of, of workloads, right? Uh, so, so why not uh, try to deliver that in, in one go, right? So the ID, which is a pretty binary thing, right? Either you're Aston or you're not, right? Either I'm lost or I'm not. So, so that is something you can realistically build into a layer one, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And you can do that in a decentralized way without sort of a centralized gatekeeper. And we've, we've found ways to do that, which mm -hmm. also means that you and I have the ability to, in any context, verify to each other that we are, in fact, the people that we claim to be, which mm -hmm. I think is a big value and will only be more and more important with, you know, AI and metaverses and mm -hmm. various virtual environments where, you know, part of the proposition actually is I want to be something that I'm not in everyday life, which mm -hmm. is fine. Uh, but if we then inside that environment decide to do a piece of business or strike up a closer social relation or something, then then you do need to sometimes know who you're dealing with. And, and, and I think that should be an optional function uh, provided by infrastructure, not something that uh, every single metaverse and every single use case has to, to mm -hmm. build. So I think mm -hmm. it's it's doable. KYC, on the other hand, is a million different things. ID is binary. Either you are or you're not. Uh, mm -hmm. But KYC can be a million different things for a million different use cases, right? If you want to trade uh, sophisticated uh, derivatives on soybeans denominated in Japanese yen, well, you need. I need to know something about you in order to offer that service. If, on the other hand, you want to be a member of the local paddle club or something, they might want to know that you live in the area or you know mm -hmm. how to hold a racket, but it's a different kind of KYC. So for me, KYC is more a layer two responsibility, but the the, fund, the fundament of any KYC is, of course, that the person we're doing KYC is, is in fact the person that the person claims to be. Mm -hmm. So in, in that sense, I think KYC is more more layer two responsibility because it's so different from use case to use case and application to application. But that doesn't stop that you can make that life easier by building, you know, KYC containers that you can then populate with the questions you specifically need answers to mm -hmm. and uh, easily integrate that, which is what uh, some of the areas that we're looking at. But at the end of the day, if you want to, you know, set up uh, a business that sells uh, used uh, used toys or used furniture or or whatever. I, I can't. I can't predict what KYC you will feel is necessary, or what a 
what a regulator might feel is necessary if you buy a very expensive piece of toy or, or furniture and a lot of money changes hands. So, so that's for the use case, but we will build some containers to make it simple for you to ask your necessary questions and convert them into a digital certificate that you can then link to the ID, right? But the actual formulation of those KYC questions, I think, is, is mostly up to the use case because they vary a lot from from app to from app to app, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very interesting, Lars. And and looking towards the future, how do you see this playing out with you know, layer ones trying to figure out what's the best way to comply? And it seems like you know they're like. The SEC, for example, uh, versus Coinbase, you know, they were asking for more clarity on the regulation, and they just really didn't have an answer. And it's sort of like stifling the innovation on, like, they don't know exactly what to do to get to the next level of adoption. Um, how do you see this sort of playing out versus the protocols and the regulation in what needs to come first, and how can we get to that point of further mainstream adoption? I, I think the... the, the, the obligation to provide clear regulation must necessarily lie with lawmakers and with regulators, right? So I think it is not reasonable that you say, well, how can I be compliant? And, and the regulators say, you find out, right? I mean, tell us how to be compliant, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of the European approach. Uh, and, and, and then you should be compliant, right? Uh, I, I don't like the sort of approach where you say you figure it out or you take your own legal advice, etc., right? And I think the only reason that that can be done is because you have this legacy regulatory environment where you're kind of saying, well, let's just fit it into that mm-hmm. and you must figure out how you comply, right? Now, you can't do that forever if you have innovations and new technical ways of delivering something. You also need to update regulation, right? And I. I, I, I very much hope that that will happen in as many jurisdictions as possible, right? And I think that is happening to to a good extent in in the EU, where where I do think that Mika is a decent first step in that direction, right? Uh, to, to clarifying a number of things, and mm-hmm. and uh, and I think overall that that is a reflection of the EU being quite constructive towards mm-hmm. blockchain and towards towards also using blockchain as a funding mechanism because they are very aware, for example, that the whole SME sector uh, is facing a, a lot of funding issues because the banking, the banking sector really wants the big clients. They're not that keen on 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 funding small uh, small businesses. And and I I know for a fact that in the EU Commission, a lot of people see blockchain as part of the solution to that within a, 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 an organized regulatory environment. So in that sense, I think it's constructive and. And then on a good path, on a good path, as far as I can see, you know, we're but no, we're no, no, no uh, standards of the imagination towards the end of that path, and we actually never will be. That's another misconception in this space that oh, if we could just get regulation, then everything would be clear and we can move on. Right? That's not the way it works. Regulation mm-hmm. continues because new things have developed, and regulators need a job too, so they uh, they they will keep. Uh, Keep innovating regulation, if you will. So, so that's a never-ending process. So, don't go around and dream that you know once we get this clarity, then everything will be forever after like that. That's not how regulation works. So, it's a continuous mm-hmm. adjustment of, of 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 regulation to the reality that that is out there, right? <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think, but but basically, I think that the primary. Uh, obligation for securing a regulation must lie with lawmakers and regulators that they mm-hmm. 
come up with something that you can actually comply to because otherwise you're in a very dangerous spot where, where, where you know, some people can argue, well, we didn't have anything to comply with so we could do whatever we wanted to, right? And we've seen that multiple times over the last decades in, in, in TradFi, you know, that uh, people abuse the situation uh, that there's, there's nothing to comply to. So the mm-hmm. sooner you can get a clear regulatory picture, the better. Yeah, great insights, Lars. Thank you so much for uh, everything around this compliance and on Concordium. Um, is there any ways that we can follow uh, more of your work or more of Concordium? Yeah, I would say the, the easy way to, uh, to start out would be going to our website, Concordium.com, where you can see all our various channels and uh, you, can, you can follow the various communities, etc. And uh, we're actually bringing out a, a new version of the website, uh, much improved in a, just a week or two. So, uh, so that's a good place to start. And uh, from there, depending on the amount of interest you have, you can sort of go on into the various communities around it, whether that's as a developer as a user or a general enthusiast, we we welcome you and we try to be responsive and uh, and uh, be there if you have any questions or want to build a use case or just want to know more. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Lars. I'll leave those links in the notes as well below. Uh, all the best with everything moving forward in Concordium. And thank you for bringing more clarity towards the blockchain industry. Uh, let's definitely follow up in the near future. Thank you very much for having me, Aston. Appreciate it. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.